Amen. Thank you, Tiffany, for leading us this morning in our worship. And if I missed you last Sunday, if I didn't see you last week, uh, Happy New Year to everybody. We're glad that you're here today. Glad that you braved the rain and made it today. We were nervous about snow, and now we're nervous about rain. It's amazing how it changes in Tennessee. But I'm glad you're here today because you picked a good Sunday to be at church. It's, it's a big day today. A big, 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 exciting day today. You don't even know how big it is. You don't even know how exciting it is. Today, today is Budget Sunday. So I, I get to present a budget report to you today. Now, I knew that you were going to be so excited about this. I didn't even tell you about it in my weekly email. I didn't even tell you we were going to talk about the budget today because I knew I didn't want you to read that email and, you know, unintentionally skip or something like that. So I just, I just left it secret so that you would just, just the excitement and energy would be here when you got here today. I do need to talk about the budget for just a little while today. This will not be the whole message. This is about five minutes that I'm going to talk about uh, the budget today. But every January, we try to give a little bit of an update as a church, kind of, hey, here's where things were last year, here's how giving was, here's what our expenses were, and then here's where we plan to go for this year. So we think it's important to do that as a church, to just provide some information to the congregation to say, here's how things stand with us financially as a church. So we are going to do that today. I don't have a ton of numbers for you. Because I know we got some financial nerds out there that you're like, yes, give me charts and spreadsheets and numbers. Like, I'm ready. Uh, you're going to be severely disappointed. And those of you that are not financial nerds will probably be happy because I've only just got a very, very few numbers for you uh, today. Just a very broad overview. But first I wanted to share this because I think this is kind of important. I want to share some budgeting principles. If you throw those up for me, Keith. Uh, these are some th things that we have used as a church for the last, I don't know, 20 years that we've been a church. And so I just think it's important for you to know that this is how we, we do our planning and our budgeting. Number one is we budget according to 48 Sundays, not 52 Sundays. And the reason we do that is because we, we budget very conservatively. But also we know that inevitably there's going to be some days that the weather does not cooperate with us. We know, like if that snowstorm had moved in on Saturday instead of Thursday then there'd be about 20 people here today, and we'd be, you know, if we budgeted according to 52 Sundays, we'd be worried about how to pay the light bill. So we budget according to 48, knowing that there's going to be some Sundays that things don't cooperate the way they're supposed to. But we also do that because it allows us to use Sundays for special purposes. Some days we get to give away our entire offering. And we've done that multiple times in the history of this church. We do it every Easter. We give away our Easter offering. So last Easter we were able to take $25,000 and give it to six different uh, nonprofits, And then we've also done that with Crossroads to Home, and we've done that with Word of Life Ministry, uh, Boys and Girls Club, Be the Sermon. There's several times that we've just given away our entire offering. One time we gave money to you as you left. Do you remember that? Like we, we, we sent everybody on a, a Christmas shopping trip and gave everybody 10 or $20, I forgot what it was, to go use that money as seed money. And of course, you spent way more than that to, to bring the gifts back to the church. Uh, the other things like Waverly Flood Relief. So we helped with Waverly Flood Relief. We raised $20,000 for that last year. And the Sunday after raising that money, our contribution was dead. <laughs> like our regular contribution, there was nothing because everybody's like, we're going to help the folks in Waverly. That's okay. We planned accordingly for that because we, we budgeted according to 48 Sundays. So we had some flexibility there and we were okay with that. Uh, the second one is that we budget according to actual giving. In other words, we spend what we have not what we don't have. 
So we are the total opposite of the federal government in this way. So what we do is we look at where our contributions were last year, and we say that's probably close to where our contributions will be next year, so we will budget accordingly. That means if our contribution was 18000 a week, then our budget in the next year is 18000 a week. If it was down and it was 16000 a week, then our contribution in the, our budget in the next year is 16000 a week. So we've always done that as a church. And... Um, some people are bothered by that a little bit and go, but where's the faith? You know, where's the, aren't you supposed to, people are supposed to give more one year to the next, so where's the faith? If you're always just budgeting actual what you actually received last year, what happens if the giving increases? Well, here's where the faith comes in, and it's really where the fun comes in. When giving exceeds our budget, we get to figure out how to give it away. <laughs> we get to like, we get to, because we, we budget very conservatively and say, okay, so if our giving exceeds budget, then we get to come up with how to use that money to do more ministry and mission in our community because our needs have already been met. And so we get to do that a lot. We're getting to do that pretty, pretty recently here with our year in giving. You heard that last week. And then the last thing is just that our elders oversee the budget. So I prepare a budget every year in November. I present it to our elders. We usually have two meetings in which we go through that process, but our elders oversee the budget. They approve the final budget. I present a monthly financial report to them. Uh, we have checks and balances in place when it comes to major expenses and things like that. And we do an outside uh, audit. We, two years ago, we did our a year ago or two years ago, I can't remember, but like every three years we try to do a, an outside audit with an outside CPA firm to just make sure we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's and all that kind of stuff. So there is some financial accountability and transparency in our budget process. It's not just, I'm not just out there spending the money and it doesn't all go to me and all that kind of stuff. We've got elders that oversee that. That's one of their primary responsibilities. Um, now, let's talk about uh, the 2020-21 budget. Uh, only two charts, okay? Just, uh, just two charts. So, and I do love charts and spreadsheets, so y'all, this is really hard for me. Um, let me go to this one because that one's cut off. Let me show you right here. That blue column right there is what our budget was in 2021. It was 21250 a week. That's what we budgeted uh, in 2021. Our giving is that center column there, and you can see that it was down. It was 19266 so giving was under budget. And we were able to hold expenses under budget as well. So our expenses were 20125 on a weekly basis. So uh, we were a little bit under in 2021. That was not entirely unexpected. It was expected in 2020, and it didn't happen in 2020. But giving sometimes lags. So in 2021, we were a little bit short, but we were able to kind of use some reserves and, and plan accordingly to that. And, of course, year in giving more than made up for that. And that's our general fund budget. So we keep two funds at the church, a general fund and a building fund. But that's the general fund budget. That's our normal contributions and tithes. This next one's our building fund, and this is, we don't budget uh, for the building fund. It's just because the majority of that went to building debt. But you can see, last year we had 287000 in contributions to the building fund. That was people that earmarked their contribution to go to the building fund. And some people do that on a weekly basis. The green column was our expenses. We used a 219000 of that for debt reduction. And so that is extra principal payments. So we, were, we budgeted for the regular mortgage payment out of our general fund budget. The building fund was extra principal payments. We began 2021 with nearly 400000 in debt. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> like, it's not just that we paid it up, but we had about 400000 in debt at the beginning of 2021, a year ago now. And so it was very aggressive paying that off because we knew we needed to get out of debt. We knew how important that was. That little red column there 
are all the, the breakdowns and expenses that happen with operating a, a building of this size. So, you know, we had to replace an HVAC unit. We had roof repairs. A tree fell down. Things like that is where all of that stuff uh, comes in. But people have asked, what are we going to do with the building fund now that we're out of debt? Well, we're going to keep the building fund now that we're out of debt because we know that we need that for the inevitable repairs, replacements, remodels, and all that kind of stuff. I think that the key to getting out of debt is having a good spending plan. We've done that for 20 years as a church. The key to staying out of debt is to have a good savings plan. So we know that we got to save up some money in a reserve account to make sure that when we have these major repairs or major things that happen, we don't have to go back into debt to cover them. So um, overall, I feel really, really good about where we are as a church moving into to 2022. I, I feel really, really positive about that. And uh, even with all the uncertainty that COVID has brought and all the changes that, that brought, and I've got a lot more highlights that I could share with you. I'll probably email those out. But our elders this year set our general fund budget at 18500 a week. Now, that's significantly less from where we were last year. One reason is because we don't have a mortgage payment anymore. So we were able to adjust our budget according to not having a mortgage payment anymore. The other reason is because uh, we, we base it on where we were in November. So we had a really good December, and that kind of, you, you looked at that last chart, it was 19.2, and you're like, the budget should be 19.2 according to your budgeting principles. Well, in November, it was 18.5. And so we, we started in November, and that's kind of where we set it. So we're at 18.5 uh, for this week, and we hope to exceed that. And if we exceed that, then we'll use those funds to do even more ministry and mission in this community. Uh, if you ever want to see a copy of the budget, all you have to do is email me. We used to print these, and we discovered that very, very few people pick them up. <laughs> I don't know why. Either they just don't want to see the numbers, or they just like, hey, we trust you guys. You're doing fine. Uh, we don't need to see it. But we, we don't print them anymore. They're just available to you. So if you, somebody's emailed me about a week or two ago and asked about it, and I sent them a copy of it. So if you want to see a copy of the budget, shoot me an email, russ at murrayhills.com. And I'm happy to send that to you. You can ask me any questions about it, or you could ask also any of our elders uh, any questions about it if you got questions. The best way you can support it, the best way you can support our budget is by setting up a recurring giving schedule. And um, we had, you know, I think 500 people roughly gave last year, which is tremendous. We had a tremendous amount of, of folks that, that participated in some way, at least one time a year last year. But uh, you can support it by doing a recurring giving schedule. And there's two ways to do that. The automatic bank draft is uh, called the ACH. I have no idea what that stands for or what it means. But it is called an ACH. That's the lingo. Uh, but that comes automatically out of your checking account. So you tie it to your checking account. On Mondays, the uh, contribution comes out of your checking account. Uh, it's a little bit more inflexible in that it's weekly. But the good thing is our bank doesn't charge us any fees. They waive all our fees, so no, no credit card fees for that. The second way is Simple Give, and that's our online giving system that many of you already use. You can access it through the Church Center app. You can access it through the Simple Give app. You can set up your own schedule. It can be weekly, biweekly, every other month, twice a year, whatever schedule you want. You tie it to whatever card you want. We do have to give Visa just a little bit of cut of that or MasterCard a little bit of cut of that. Uh, but, but it's worth it to us because it makes it easy for people to give. And having a recurring giving schedule is really, really helpful to us as a church as we plan because we know what we have and what we can expect and that kind of thing. So we, we can plan accordingly. So think about that. 
and, uh, and pray about that. And if you are interested, I'll send an email with all the rest of the information because I want to get to the message. All right, so uh, let's, let's get to the message. Let's get to the sermon. It's in John chapter 12, verse 21. So if you got a Bible, go over and find John 12, 21. I thought I marked it when we were singing, and apparently I marked the wrong thing. Um, there we go. All right, I, I got this idea, got this verse from a YouTube sermon, and I don't remember exactly who it was that was doing the preaching, but I was watching a, a sermon, and the guy was, was talking about a time that he went and was a guest speaker at a church somewhere, and they had one of these wooden pulpits. You remember the big wooden pulpits we, that all the churches used to have? And somehow they had either engraved on the front of that pulpit or had written on it or something, and it was facing the speaker. So the, the, the church couldn't see it, but the speaker, and there was a, a quote on there that said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And that was from John 12, verse, verse 21. And uh, they were talking about like the, the reason that that was put on there, the reason that was on the, the pulpit was because whenever somebody, you know, stood up to preach, that, that's what you wanted people to see. That's what you wanted people to eat. We want you to present Jesus to us. Or whenever somebody is on that stage to lead worship, we want you to present Jesus to us. If somebody was on that stage to, to lead a prayer or to offer communion meditation, we want to see Jesus. That's what we want to see. And I was just thinking as I, as I heard them talking about that, I was thinking, you know, that's what a great theme verse for 2022 for us as a church. Not just for, you know, whoever was standing on the stage, but for us as a church, because that's, that's what we should be doing as a church. We want to present Jesus. We want to show Jesus to our community. So anytime somebody attends a service here, we want them to see Jesus. And anytime, you know, somebody participates in student ministry or children's ministry or whatever it is, we want them to see Jesus. Or somebody participates in a ministry here, we want them to see Jesus. Whatever we're doing as a church, even if it's having a big old Halloween party out there, in the, you know, whatever we do as a church, when people come, we want them to see Jesus. We want them to see love. We want them to see grace. We want them to see mercy. We want them to see compassion. We want them to see community. We want people to see Jesus because ultimately that's what people are looking for. That's why you come to church. You know, you come to church because you want to see Jesus. And I thought, man, that's exactly what we need to be doing. And it was one of the, the many lessons for me out of 2021 because I saw a survey uh, this week and it was on social media it was one of them was from Barna Research that said 38% of pastors considered leaving full-time ministry in 2021. And then the second one was the reason why. And it's because, and this is from the Hartford Institute of Religion Research, it was because 67% of pastors said 2021 was the most difficult year of their careers. And my first thought when I saw the stat was 33% of pastors are lying. Uh, because it was hands down the most difficult year of my career. I mean, I've been here for 17 years. It was hands down the most difficult year in 17 years. I've been in ministry longer than that. But, I mean, it was easily because, and I said to our staff many times, and I've said it from this stage too, you know, like in this weird sense, I miss 2020. Don't you miss 2020? Oh, I know, I mean, 2020 was chaotic, and it was crazy, and nobody knew which end was up, and everybody was scared and all that. But at the same time, we were all flexible in 2020. 
I mean, everybody was just, hey, we'll, we got it. We're fine. We'll roll with it, whatever. We'll just, we, we can make this work. Nobody knows what's going on, but that's fine. Everything's going to be okay. We were hopeful and we were flexible in 2020. In 2021, we just got angry about it. All of it. We got angry about it. We got angry about the election. We got angry about masks and, and vaccines and we got angry about sermon series and we got angry about worship styles and and we just got angry about everything every little thing just ticked us off in 2021 i'm not just talking about the church i'm talking about society as a whole okay it just bothered everything just bothers things that wouldn't normally bother us bothered us and i made some miscalculations as a as a leader and as a pastor in 2021 things that in the past i would have said Oh, our church will be fine with that. They, they can handle that. That's no big deal. I mean, I, I know it might be a little controversial, but trust me, I've been at Murray Hills for a number of years. They can roll with the punches. We couldn't roll with the punches in 2021. Like, we couldn't. It was just people got angry about stuff. And um, some people left the church over it. And some people left the church not because they were angry, but it was just this disruption, this major disruption in our lives and and this period of time which we were away from our community from sometimes two years. We were away from our community for two years, and you go, well, maybe we need to find a different community or whatever. And so people left, and people came, and it was just a year of major, major um, transition. But it was good for us. It was good for us because we kept having to remind ourselves I kept having to remind myself, the only thing that matters is Jesus. I mean, at, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is Jesus, and that's what we have to keep leaning into. We have to keep leaning in to Jesus. We have to keep making that our focus. It, 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 our focus can't be on making everybody happy because that ain't going to happen. Our focus can't be on keeping everybody happy because that ain't going to happen. Uh, it's got to be just on preaching Jesus and just trying to be a good church. And a good church from the sense of a healthy church is what I mean. Ebony talked about this in her sermon just a little bit last week, too. You know, we just want to be a healthy church. Like, there's so many. There, and gosh, I, got, I, I went down that rabbit hole with the podcast and all. There's so many stories of toxic leaderships and toxic churches right now. It's almost exhausting. To re, it just, it's like every week another shoe drops, and it just it makes you lose faith in church as an institution or those things. And it's like, we want to counter that. We just want to be a good, healthy church. We don't have to be the biggest. We don't have to be the best. We don't have to be the flashiest. We don't have to have all the bells and whistles. We don't have to be the most popular. We don't have to have, you know, the most locations, the coolest worship lights, the, uh, the hippest pastor. You'll never have to worry about having the hippest pastor. That'll never be a concern. Um, we, you know, we just want to be healthy. Just we want to be a healthy church that's focused on Jesus. Because at the end of the day, what matters is, we want to see Jesus. The community, we want to see Jesus. Now, um, that sounds good. Okay, like that, that, that all, like when I hear that, that phrase, and I see that, and I heard that speaker saying that on that YouTube sermon, I'm like, yes, we just want to see Jesus. We, let's stop talking about all this hard stuff, and let's just talk about Jesus. Let's start talking about all this other stuff, and let's just talk about Jesus. And then, as I was preparing this message, I opened up my Bible to read the context of what that story like what actually happened in that story after those people requested to see Jesus what did Jesus say to them and it's kind of interesting let's take a look here this is uh, in verse where does it start 20 John 12 verse 20 I'm going to use yours Keith because I 
my eyesight's going finally. The eye doctor told me years ago it was going to happen, and he's, he's right now. Um, now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So they come up to Philip, and there's these, these Greeks that we, we want to see Jesus. And so Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And then Jesus goes on from there. I'm not going to read the entire text. He goes on from there and talks about the kind of death he's going to die. So when people say, sir, you know, they, they come to Jesus, he tells them, you're going to have to lose your life for my sake. Uh, you're going to have to hate your life for my sake. That's the only way you're going to save it. And uh, it's going to be a very difficult path to follow me. And here's where I'm going. And this is what I'm getting ready to do. And this is the sacrifice that I'm getting ready to make. And I'm going to ask my disciples to make the same sacrifice. So he talks about all that. And he concludes by saying, Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. So walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. It's, <laughs> it's a real curious response to this request. Like, we want to see Jesus. We want to, so I think like if Jesus was the guest speaker at that church and he saw the we want to see Jesus, what he would have told them was the way of following me is very difficult. It's going to require a lot of sacrifice on your part. People are possibly going to hate you for it. And uh, you're going to have to walk in the light so that you don't fall into darkness. And then when he finished saying all that stuff, he would have hid himself from them. Like, it, it, it's, it, it's, and Jesus does this. It's not unusual for Jesus because he does it numerous times in the gospel. If you follow Jesus, like, as the crowds begin to grow, as he did these miracles and taught in and around Galilee, and these crowds begin to grow, anytime the crowds begin to grow, Jesus then abruptly told them, hey, this is going to get really tough. So, you know, you, you might want to be ready for that. This is going to get really, really hard. And um, you're gonna, it's going to require sacrifice on your part. And you're going to have to lose your life for my sake. And you're going to have to carry your cross. And you're going to have to deny yourself. And, I mean, Jesus, anytime, you read that in the Gospels. Anytime these crowds started following him, he followed up with this very hard teaching. And it's a reminder as I go through it that, that following Jesus is not all you know, rainbows and sunsets. It's, it's not all, you know, feel-good worship songs and walking away from church every Sunday going, man, that felt great, didn't it? That felt so good. I'm just so inspired. And I mean, I get to, following Jesus sometimes involves some discomfort. Following Jesus sometimes involves um, some sacrifice, and, and it cost us something. It's, Jesus says some hard things that didn't always make him popular with the crowds. As a matter of fact, the crowds crucified him for some of the things that he said. 
He said some hard things that didn't make him popular with religious authorities or with governing authorities. And both of them sought to kill him for the things that he said. And so he talks a lot about sacrifice and losing your life. And I just got to thinking about this week, you know, we're not very good at that. <laughs> like the sacrifice thing. I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about our lives. I'm talking about on a small level. I'm not talking about on a big level like sacrificing our lives or sacrificing our finances or those things. We're not good at sacrificing our opinions. We're not very good at sacrificing our comfort level. We're not, we don't, we don't want to sacrifice those things because we don't have to anymore. Not in today's society. We don't have to sacrifice our comfort level. We don't have to sacrifice our opinions. We don't have to sacrifice our assumptions. We don't have to sacrifice really anything anymore. Because we can always find a group that will agree with us. And we can just run to those groups. And we don't really have to practice community in the sense of maybe people in years ago in churches had to practice community because the church was the only church that was worshiping Jesus. I like that. That's the only place you could go that's worshiping Jesus. We don't have, we, there's, there's thousands of places that we can go to find somebody that agrees with us. And not just churches. I'm talking like social circles. You know, we, we can retreat to our ideological corners and we can, I, I want news that curates the kind of news that I want to hear and I want to see um, opinion pieces that curate the type of opinions that I want to hear. And I want to, to hear everybody else talk about the things that I like. And if I don't like it, I'll just, I'll just leave. You know, it's just it's real easy to hit the unfollow or the unfriend button. And I understand why we do need to hit. I've hit those buttons. <laughs> okay, We do need to hit those buttons sometimes. And I totally understand it. But what I'm seeing culturally is we're losing our ability to have a hard conversations with each other. And we're losing our ability to have uh, disagreements with each other and to work through disagreements with each other, to work through hard conversations and, and still maintain some sense of unity. Like we're, That's the hard work of doing community. We're losing the ability to do community together because we just rush to another community that thinks and acts like us. So it's, you know, it's really hard to do church with folks that don't look like us, sound like us, or agree with us. We just, we bail. And it made me think of something that Stephen Worley said years ago in this church. And Stephen has, has since passed. He was one of our elders here for a number of years. But very early in church, just before he was an elder, and this was before we moved out here, so this would have been pre-2006, we did this thing on Wednesday night called Peak of the Week, and, and Stephen was speaking at it. And he said, and I always remember this, he stood up and he said, you know, I disagree with more people at this church than any other church I've ever attended. Um, which is one of those statements you go, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, he said, I disagree with more people at this church than any other church I've ever attended. But I love the vision of this place, and I love the mission, and I love the people, and I'm, I'm willing to work it out. I'm paraphrasing him there, but I'm, I'm willing to work it out. And we're like, make that guy an elder, because he gets it. I mean, he gets it. Like, that's what we want to do as a church. We, we, we want to have unity through diversity. And we say that not just as a slogan, but like, we truly want to be a diverse community. And we've worked for years to make Murray Hills a diverse community. We want to be diverse denominationally. We want to be diverse um, ethnically. We want to be diverse demographically. We want to be diverse economically. We even want to be diverse politically. 
We don't want everybody to agree in the same things politically. I say that nervous now because we're now looking for churches that are not diverse politically. We want a left-leaning church or a right-leaning church. And I want to say we want folks that are left-leaning and right-leaning here. Like, it's, it's okay to be diverse politically. It's okay to be diverse denominationally. And we've done good with some parts of that and, and other parts we've struggled with. And we fully admit that. Like, we've done, we've done real good with being denominationally diverse we're very denominationally diverse. We've done good with being demographically diverse. We have old and young, very good at that. Uh, racial diversity has been a struggle for us that we've been trying to correct. Like that, we've been trying to work on that. But a lot of churches in Murray County, sadly, are not racially diverse. And so we've been, hey, well, let's, let's talk about that and let's address that. How do we do that? Um, the gender diversity, like for years, our church was not. You know, you only heard from men on the stage. I was even bothered. Like, Sir, we want to see Jesus. I was like, ooh, how's that going to go? Like, it's, it's assuming that every person that preaches from the pulpit is going to be a man. So we've tried to work on that. We've tried to address uh, some of those things uh, as well. But we think that it's possible. We have this wild idea that it's possible for rich and poor, young and old, men and women, black and white, Republicans and Democrats, even Baptist and Presbyterians, to coexist together in unity because we agree on Jesus. And we think Jesus is enough. Like, Jesus is enough. Now, now 2021's made that really, really hard, and it's challenged those assumptions because I've had more questions this year along the lines of, what is the church's position on Fill in the blank. Not this year, last year. I know, it's 2022. But last year I had more questions on what is the church's position on than probably any other year. And they weren't always doctrinal. Matter of fact, most of them were not doctrinal. Like I used to, I would get questions on like, doctrinal. What's the church's position on baptism? Or what's the church's position on communion? Or what's the church's position on once saved, always saved? And you know, those kinds of things. I get those. That's our doctrinal questions. I fully expect those, anticipate those. I have more questions on What's the church's position on, and it's some type of social issue or political issue? And, and usually my answer has been, well, we don't have one. You know, we don't have a position on that. I'm, I'm sure among our membership, we have many different ideas and opinions there, but, but we, don't, we don't actually have a position on that. And, and a lot of those people are like, well, good, <laughs> good, okay, yeah, I'm in, good. And, but some of them are like, you don't have a position on that? Okay, well, I need to find a church that does. And um, it's like anytime somebody asks me, what's your position on it? I'm like, there's a 50-50 shot here <laughs> that we're going to keep them. And, and, and I understand why we got to ask those questions. I understand. I'm not, I've asked some of those questions, I, so I get it. I understand why people are, are asking some of that. But I wish the question was, what is your church's position on Jesus? That's what I need to know. We need to know what the church's position is on Jesus. Because if, if we agree on Jesus, we can work out all the rest. That, that's okay. Like, it's, it's okay. You're going to say some things that ruffle my feathers every now and then. I'm going to say some things that ruffle your feathers every now and then. But as long as we agree on Jesus, we can, we can work this out. Like I, I think we'll be fine as long as we agree on Jesus. And I can answer that question because this book answers that question. A lot of the things that people want to know, what is your church's position on this book, doesn't answer the question. It, uh, it doesn't, and, and it comes down to an opinion or, you know, an, an idea. But I can answer the question. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we believe that he was born of a virgin, that he taught in and around Galilee, and, and he taught about the kingdom of God, and uh, he taught about mercy and sacrifice, and he taught his followers what it meant 
to be members or citizens of the kingdom of God. And we believe he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and on the third day he rose again from the dead, and he's now ascended to the right hand of God, and that he will come back again one day to redeem this world forever, and that he's the sole source of salvation, and he is the sole foundation and the sole head of this church. We talk a lot about our elders being the sole authority in this church. They're not. They're the second. <laughs> our, our, Jesus is the sole authority in this church. He's the sole head and the foundation of this church. And in 2022, I think we have to make sure that there is more of him and less of us. And that's what our emphasis is. Not just in this church, but in our lives. More of him and less of us. And uh, I'm going to do my best to make sure that that happens. So... Let me pray for us because I'm, I'm running out of time. Okay, so let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for, uh, thankful for that text that John, where John records that story of them coming and asking Philip to, to see your son Jesus. And um, we, we admit that uh, the church, over the years of history, the church has made a mess uh, of that request, that and for years, people have come looking for your son, Jesus, and they found a lot of other things. They found legalism, and they found uh, celebrity and, and uh, personal opinion and influence and all this stuff more than they found Jesus. And so I pray that you help us as a church to just present your son, Jesus, to this community. And uh, to do that through our groups, to do that through our serving, to do that through our worship. Uh, just to do that through our everyday lives, that when, when, when we go to work tomorrow or when we go to school tomorrow or, or wherever it is we're going tomorrow, that we are representatives of Jesus, that we, we take his light with us into whatever places we go and that, um, that you help us. You help us to show grace to one another and to show grace to to our strangers, to show grace to our enemies, to show grace to people that differ from us, to show grace that, to, to folks that have different ideas and opinions about us, that, just, that we become a people of grace and that we draw people to you. And so that's what I'm praying you help us to do, is to draw people to you and whatever we do, to draw people to you. Um, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Let me tell you, uh, next week, I'm doing a, a message right now that's titled, I don't really do good with one-off messages. Like, I, I, I have too much freedom and flexibility there. Right now, it's titled, The Best Sermon I've Ever Heard. It's not that sermon, but that's, that's what it's titled, The Best Sermon I've Ever Heard. It's a sermon that my Uncle Jimmy did back when I was in my 20s. That's what it is right now. But we're building towards something called Anchored Spirituality. If you've been at Murray Hills for any length of time, we do, uh, a lot of times in February, March, we do what we call an emotional health series. We talk about some of the emotional health issues because we think it can't be spiritually mature unless you're emotionally healthy. And so we're doing one called Anchored Spirituality. And it will talk about the things that we need to anchor ourselves to in order to practice spirituality. And uh, so we're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about honesty. Uh, we're going to talk about authenticity. We're going to talk about courage. 
I'm trying to remember some of them. Anchor is an acronym, and I can't remember them all right now. But we're going to talk about all those things uh, coming up in two weeks. That's what the Anchor Spirituality is going to be. So be praying about that. Next week, we'll, the best sermon I've ever heard next week. And uh, be careful going home. I'm sure it's still raining out there. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you next Sunday.